You may be seated. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We uh, give thanks and praise for your goodness and your faithfulness uh, to us. We thank you, Lord, that we have already uh, read and we have sung the words of truth. And Lord, now I pray that you would give to us your grace and your mercy. Uh, Lord Jesus, your grace that we would hear uh, through your Holy Spirit and that by hearing, our lives would be changed and transformed. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would cause us to see that there are many things in this world that can become a replacement uh, for you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, turn our hearts from those things. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you today to turn in your Bibles or to look on the screen at Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, reading in Jesus' name. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Here ends the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you and we praise you that you have given to us your word today. Break the bread of life before us, in Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life that I have uh, dreamt about winning the lottery. Anybody here have daydreams about coming across huge, huge uh, piles of money? I think, what could I afford? What could I buy if I had all of this money? What could I purchase? What could I have? Um, I also think, uh, you know, my wife, she does a lot of housework. She cooks all of the meals. Wouldn't it be great to be able to hire somebody to do all the housework for her and to cook all of our meals for us? Where could I travel? Where could I go? What could I see? Who could I help? Who could I give to to support in this life? So I must admit that I have had daydreams of winning the lotto jackpot. But then I come to my senses and I thank God that I don't have that kind of wealth. Many good people have been ruined, have been ruined by wealth. You probably have heard the stories of those who have won the lottery and in a very short amount of time they end up in a worse place than when they had uh, won the lottery. 
friendships, families that have been destroyed by that kind of money. So wealth can be dangerous. Wealth can be dangerous. Not just dangerous in this life, but also dangerous for eternity. Do you remember what Jesus said about wealth? Jesus said in Mark 10.25, the next time you dream about winning the lottery, think of Mark 10.25. What does Jesus say in Mark 10.25? It is easier for a camel to go through what? The eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus warned us of the deceitfulness and of the danger of wealth. And you probably remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember this parable that Jesus taught about the rich man? Luke 16, 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died. And the angels came and carried him to Abraham's table. The rich man also died and was buried. And he was in torment. And from torment he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place. So those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses... And the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The truth of what Jesus taught about the danger of wealth comes to full light in today's account of the rich young ruler. The wealth of this rich young man was more important than the inheritance of the kingdom of God. This young man kept this temporal life's riches at the expense of the riches of everlasting life. He would rather have his wealth than the kingdom of heaven. 
The man who approached Jesus, the Bible reveals that he was a rich, young ruler. Probably a ruler in the synagogue. And he he approached Jesus with a very earnest question. Uh, Some might assume that, that, that this young ruler, this religious young man, sought to trap Jesus with a question, and that's because many came with questions to trap Jesus. But that's not the case with this rich young man. I believe this young man was sincere because the text reveals to us that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and loved him. He was sincere. He was sincere in his question. So we need to remember that we will encounter sincere seekers in the mission field of our neighborhoods. But when the truth of God's word is given... Often it will be rejected because, listen to this, not every sincere seeker of truth will receive the truth. Oftentimes the truth is difficult to accept and to receive. So he comes with a sincere question. He receives his answer and he rejects it. He walks away sorrowful because he had great wealth, really because his wealth was his God. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? First of all, let's ask this question. What does this young man's question reveal about his view of salvation? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'll ask you this. Does he believe that salvation is a free gift of God's grace? Does his question imply the knowledge that salvation is by God's loving kindness and grace and mercy? Or does he believe that he must do something to be saved? Is he really asking, what must I do to be saved? What good works, what works must I do in order to inherit eternal life? So what is the answer to that question? What is the answer to that question? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to enter heaven? What must I do to be at peace with God? The only answer that we can give is the answer that the Bible itself gives to us. How is a person saved? How does a person find peace with God? Is it by the works of the law? Is it by doing good works? Or is it a gift? A gift of God's Grace. On the day of Pentecost, as Peter preached the first sermon of the church, 
The text says in Acts chapter 2 that after Peter's preaching, the people were cut to the heart and they asked, what must we do to be saved? How did Peter reply? He said, repent and believe. Believe the good news of the gospel. Repent and believe. Our salvation is not by works. It is by grace through faith in the free gift of the forgiveness of what Jesus has earned for us by the cross. That is how we're saved. Repent. Know that you're a sinner. Believe. Believe that Jesus died upon the cross and shed his blood and that it's only by his shed blood that your sins are washed away. The first part is repentance. And that is acknowledging sin. Acknowledging sin and believing in the promise of Jesus Christ. So how did Jesus respond to this rich young ruler? Look at our gospel lesson again. Mark chapter 10, verses 18 through 20, and Jesus said to him, first of all, he said, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he says, you know the commandments. You know the commandments which reflect the character of God. Do not steal. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus knows how to penetrate the heart. He knows how to get at the heart of the matter. He knows how to expose the sin that lurks in the heart. Jesus starts with the law. He starts with the law to bring contrition, contrition and repentance, that contrition which, is, which really is sorrow over sin. Unless a person feels the weight of their sin, they will never be turned in faith to receive the forgiveness of God. So Jesus gives the commandments. He gives the commandments. He starts with the issue of God and his goodness, which is revealed in the commandments. Who is good but God alone? And this should have caused the young man to pause right there and to consider himself under the, the almighty, all-knowing, watchful eye of a righteous and holy God. When Jesus asked that question, who is good but God alone, he, he should have come to the realization that, that he is a, a sinner ruined. And in need of the love and kindness and mercy of God Almighty. Who is good but God alone? I must come to understand that only God is good. Only God is good. I am sinful. I am ruined. 
I live as a sinner under the eye of a righteous and holy God who sees everything. A holy and a righteous God who judges everything. There's no escaping him. There is no escaping his justice. Remember Hebrews 4.13. Hebrews 4.13. And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. We all stand before God exposed. If this rich young man had a proper view of God's goodness and holiness as revealed in the commandments, he would have known his sinfulness. He would have understood full well that his wealth was idolatry that his riches came before God. You see, it's, it's not the money that, that's the problem. It's not wealth that's the problem. It is putting those things before God that becomes the problem. You can have all of the money in the world. You can be the richest person in the world. And if you understand that God is priority number one and your money is way, way, way down on the list of what's important, you can enter the kingdom of God. But as soon as wealth and possessions and property are more important to you than God, then we have idolatry. And this young man didn't see that. He didn't understand that. For him, his wealth was his God. Moreover, this young man deceived himself to trust in his own self-righteousness. You remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Do you remember how the Pharisee prayed? The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, even like this tax collector. God, look at me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. See, here we have a, a Pharisee and then we have a tax collector. Tax collectors actually were fairly wealthy. They became wealthy through extortion. But he came to understand his sinfulness. He cried for mercy and he was justified. He was saved. We must know the goodness of God. The goodness of God, because when we know the goodness of God, when we know God, 
when we know that he is a good and a holy, righteous God, we come to know ourselves. We come to know ourselves. We cannot come to know ourselves until we come to know God. For us to have a true revelation of who we are, we must know God and his goodness. If you know God, you know who you are. You know that you are sinful. And that if you do not receive grace and mercy from God Almighty, then you're finished. There's no hope for you. To truly know yourself is to know God. The Ten Commandments are the word God gave to expose the sinfulness of our hearts. Jesus said to the young man, you know the commandments... You've been taught the commandments since you were a little child. Think about being raised as as a Jewish person. During that time, and even still today among many, their schooling, their education was in the Word of God. So he knew it. He knew God's Word inside and out. And he said... To Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, I don't doubt the sincerity of this young man. I believe that he was very sincere in actually believing that he had kept the commandments. I think he truly believed that his external piety was enough to save him. When Jesus revealed the law to the young man's heart, his heart actually grew harder with a sense of self-righteousness. Rather than being broken by the law, his heart was hardened by the law because he believed that his external behavior was all that God saw. Many of us are masters at external piety, right? We look good on the outside. We look good on the outside. For the most part, most of you behave in public. I don't know if there's anybody in here that I would be embarrassed to take out in public. Maybe one or two of you. (laughs) But for the most part, we behave in public, right? It's, It's been ingrained into our psyche. I can still hear my mom say, Okay, Adam, we're going out to a nice restaurant now. You have to mind your manners. You have to behave. We've been taught to behave in public, right? But is our public persona always an accurate representation of our inward motives and attitudes? Think about it. Think about it. Many people believe their public behavior is all God sees. Remember Hebrews 4.13. 
Don't forget Hebrews 4.13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him <clears throat> of whom we must give account. How many of you would like for us to show on uh, the screen all of your thoughts, words, and deeds? Have everything exposed up there, and then we would all gather here, sit, and watch you, the real you. I would be mortified. How many of you would agree? Yeah, I, I would be mortified too. No creature is hid from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him of who we must give account. God sees it all. Everything is exposed before him. We really are no different than what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He said that they're whitewashed tombs, right? Beautiful on the outside. But what's on the inside? Dead men's bones, right? That's who we are. We make ourselves look so good to the world, but, but on the inside, we're nothing but, but dead men's bones. So here we have this rich, young ruler he had learned to behave in public. That's what caused him, I believe, to become a ruler in his synagogue. As a boy, they, they probably pointed to him and said, he has such a bright future. He's such a good boy. Praise was heaped upon him, and he came to understand that if I'm good, good things come to me. If I'm good, I'll go far in life. And he did. And he trusted in that. And he failed to recognize the sin that infected the deepest part of his soul. So let's be honest. Let's be honest with each other. We're a mess. We're a mess. And we need Jesus. We desperately need the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Sure, on the outside, everyone thinks I'm fine. But on the inside, I need new life. I need new life. On the inside, I need a resurrection. On the inside, these dry bones need to live again. And I will only live again by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Not by my works or my external behavior, but by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So after Jesus gives the commandments, the rich young man says with false piety and sincerity, but still false, you can be sincere, but wrong, right? Sincerely wrong. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. You lack one thing. He says, here, here is the heart of the matter. Let's talk about your money. 
Let's talk about your possessions. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Come, follow me. Give up these things, the things of this world. Give it all up and come follow me. Jesus cuts to the heart. Jesus lays bare the sin of this young man. The text says that he, he walked away disheartened, sad, sorrowful, because his possessions were so many. When it came to external obedience, I could, he could say, I've got it together. Look at me. I've got it together. But when it came to commandment number one, he was exposed. He was guilty. He lay naked before the all-seeing eye of a righteous and holy God. The, this rich young man replaced God with wealth. God, the true God, The good God was not his God. His money was his God. And wealth really does have a way of replacing God in our lives, doesn't it? When we are always well fed, when we always have the security of a a roof over our head, when the gas comes on every night, keep us warm, we begin to forget that we need God, that we need Him to sustain us. When we have all of these good things in our lives, oftentimes it causes us to forget God. We're so prone to forget Him. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9 gives us a good, a good rule of thumb. The writer of this proverb says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I believe that that our wealth within North American culture is the anesthetic of the soul. Think about it. Our wealth is the anesthetic of the soul. When you go to the dentist or when you get stitches, the doctor will inject anesthetic into your mouth or to your wound so you don't feel the pain, right? How many of you are grateful for lidocaine? (laughs) I would hate to go to the dentist without that stuff when he's got to drill into me or do a root canal. We're grateful for anesthetics. It numbs us. We don't feel the pain. I believe that wealth is the anesthetic of the soul. 
it becomes difficult for us to feel our need for God. Our need to be dependent upon him moment by moment, day by day, night after night. becomes difficult for us to feel a need for grace and mercy. I have everything I want and more. So blessed, so blessed. This is why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Wealth, the anesthetic of the soul. Now, King David was a rich man, right? He was a rich man. He had achieved success. Yet God said of King David that he is a man after my own heart. Uh, you, you, you couldn't find anybody else in, in Israel who was more wealthy than, than King David, right? He had everything. And he even used his position of, of, of power and wealth and authority to sin. Do you remember the sin of King David? King David, the Bible says, was taking a walk on the rooftop and he saw a beautiful woman. This woman was bathing and because he was the king, because he had power, he could order that this woman be brought to him. So the woman was brought to him. Her name was Bathsheba, and she became pregnant. You know the story. David tried to cover his sin of adultery. It didn't work out. He was actually able to use his, his position of wealth and authority to have Bathsheba's husband killed. So then she would be free for him to say, come and be my wife. And then he thought that nobody would know that the sin had occurred. David thought that he would get away with adultery and murder. But then the prophet comes in and the prophet revealed to David, your sin is known. God knows. God knows that you have sinned. All things are laid bare before him. Nothing is hidden from his sight. David, you have sinned. David was broken. He was broken over his sin. He knew that he had sinned against God. And he went to God in humility with a repentant heart. And he wrote one of the most powerful psalms in all of the psalms of the 150 psalms. One psalm, one, or psalm 51. You know it. Listen to the cry of David. 
This man with great wealth, but great humility, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He says, behold, and this is where we need to come to. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. This rich young ruler had not come to this point. And it's my prayer that you have come to that point. That you understand the weight of your sin. And your need of the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is gracious. He doesn't want us to turn away from him saddened. He wants us to know that he is more than enough. He is more than enough. Do you believe that? He is more than enough. If we lose everything that this world offers, what have we lost? Have we really lost anything if we've lost all that we possess? We really haven't lost anything, have we? If we have Jesus, we have all that we need. Because we know that Jesus is more than enough. But sadly, tragically, Those who don't have Jesus, when they lose everything, they really do lose everything. Because all they have is what this world has to offer. That's it. And when when the things of this world go away, that's it. They have nothing else. Jesus is more than enough. Trust in him. Believe in him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus is more than enough. Trust in him. Believe in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Help us to turn from the deceitfulness of sin, of idolatry. Lord, uh, for those of us who do hang on to idols, we pray now that by your grace and mercy you would release us from those things. That we would grab a hold of you knowing that you are more than enough. Give us a spirit of generosity that we would be willing to give, that we would be willing to let go, that we would be willing to be servants of yours. Set our hearts at peace in the knowledge of our forgiveness. And may we truly be a people who go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen.